Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, former Vanderbilt basketball great Will Purdue, will talk mostly football and some basketball too. We did this episode a couple hours before Vanderbilt's road win at Temple, so any basketball talk should be taken in that context. Will appears on the guest line, which is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Now on to our podcast with Will Purdue. Will Purdue joins us today for context. It is Tuesday afternoon. Clark Lee's press conference has happened. We'll get into that. The basketball game with Temple is about two and a half hours from tip-off. We obviously will not get into that. So any basketball talk you hear could be slightly dated by the time you hear it. However, what will not be dated is Vanderbilt's football win over Kentucky, which is where we will spend the bulk of our time. With that, Will, thanks for joining us to be with us today. Well, Chris, ever since Saturday, I've been anxious to make sure that we get this podcast done, and the earlier in the week, the better. Now, I want to give myself a little credit. I predicted in one of our first podcasts for this uh, academic year uh, that we were doing that Vanderbilt would somehow find a way to win an SEC game. I was correct, but at the same time, I did not think it would be this one. I think like most people, I felt our targets were Missouri or South Carolina. And, you know, as we've talked over the last couple of weeks, we know about the, the chances that they had against Missouri, the chances they had against South Carolina but their ability to withstand the constant barrage of, I don't know what the best way to put this is, but you know, they were constantly being pushed. They, they did an excellent job of, you know, let's just call it what it is winning ugly, but at the end of the day, they won nonetheless. But before we get into that, I've got a, uh, you could call it a cute story, a funny story, whatever it may be. So, you know, occasionally we'll throw in a few anecdotes here or there. I'll tell some stories about my former teammates, and that's what I have today. So this weekend, this past weekend, uh, was down in Atlanta, had planned uh, a couple weeks ago a trip down there uh, with my wife to visit Barry Goheen and his wife and sneak in a little golf, and also uh, Steve Reese, a former teammate of mine as well, and his wife, Dana Reese, whose uh, maiden name is Dana Turner, who also played at Vanderbilt, um, were all in in Atlanta together. Now, what we didn't know was is that that the week leading up to this past weekend, it was in the 80s, and then it dipped down into the 40s, and we actually roughed it out, and... uh, Still played on Sunday when the high was about 48 and it was a little breezy. And the, the, the best part was pretty much the last two holes, none of us could feel our hands. But nonetheless, we finished. And I actually played pretty well, so I was, I was happy about that. I, I was happy, wasn't happy with the last two holes because I lost feeling in my hands and finished double-double. But still hit the ball pretty well, and you always like to hit the ball towards the end of the golf season. And that's kind of where, where I stand now, you know, living here in – Chicago, but the story is Steve Reese um, has two daughters, and the youngest of the two, Macy, who by the way went to Auburn on a volleyball scholarship, uh, now lives in Atlanta, is married to Taylor, 
and they are having a baby coming up in March of 2023, obviously. Well, Steve's son-in-law was at work or somewhere where he knew the individual he was with. And then that individual looked at Taylor and goes, so your father-in-law likes Rambo. And he's like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, I listened to the podcast and he told a story about how your father-in-law used to watch Rambo all the time at Vanderbilt. So it's just a little reminder. You know, it's just, sometimes you forget. I think, okay, when I'm talking to Chris Lee and we're doing this podcast, Chris Lee lives in Vanderbilt. We're talking about, I mean, at Nashville, we're talking about Vanderbilt and it doesn't really get get outside of the Nashville community. Well, that obviously tells you this guy lives in Atlanta and he's listened to the podcast. So, you know, I want to say thank you to those that are listening. I want to thank you to, this, to the, say thank you to those that, you know, consistently listen. I hope you enjoy uh, the content. And I thought that was, you know, pretty funny because then he calls up Steve and goes, hey, uh, I didn't know this, but do you like Rambo? <laughs> so <laughs> even Steve thought that was pretty funny. That's even though as I joked, I said, well, I didn't necessarily ask you if it was okay to mention your name. It's just, you know, I'll do it and ask for, for forgiveness later if it happens to aggravate them uh, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, he actually thought that was that was pretty cool. But uh, that's how I wanted to start off the, the podcast with that story. But now that I've done that, let's get into the nuts and bolts of this fantastic, humongous, um, you know, I, I don't know. You could use so many other synonyms to describe this, but it's just, it was impressive nonetheless. Yeah. That first of all, that's the second week in a row. We've had random encounters with the Vandy sports podcast in, in random places Tori. because I think I told this on a show last week, Corey Chavis was in Philadelphia and had someone come up to the airport and tell him they had heard him on this show. So it's, it's like I say, Vanderbilt's not even a pond, it's a puddle, but we're probably the the biggest creature in the puddle for whatever that's worth. Anyway. Um, well, and, and let's see if we can create, make that pond into, I mean, that puddle into a pond. So we'll we'll keep trudging forward. Yeah, we'll see. It's It's been 20 years of going at it. If it hasn't happened by now, I don't know that it will. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I, I will push back on something you said a little bit about the the win being not always pretty. I thought that was, and, and this I get that this is not what you said, and I'm nitpicking a little bit. I'll pull up the box score because they they outgained Kentucky. See, I think the the further I get from this win, the more significant it feels to me. Okay, total yards, Vanderbilt 448, Kentucky 322. Usually when Vanderbilt gets a win of a team against a team of Kentucky stature, it's the other way around. It's they got outgained. They win the turnover margin four to one or something like that. They get a big break. And yes, they got a break on the penalty that kept the last drive of the game alive, but statistically they were they were the better team. Uh, eight point yard eight yards per pass, Kentucky four point seven, six point oh yards per rush, Kentucky six point nine. Vanderbilt actually drew more penalties, seven for seventy one yards, lost the turnover battle two to one. So the more I look at this, it's that, and it's and I'd forgotten this because I'd sort of forgotten about Ben Cox. He's been out a few weeks now, and you don't tend to think of a starter as a starter when he hasn't started recently. Well, they were down three starting offensive linemen in Lexington and won the game like that. Yes, and I'll 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 pile on and say that uh, I'll pile on myself that uh, they also, you know, the fluid ravished the team and the coaching there staff throughout too. the week. Yeah, I mean, Clark Lee was still, you know, hacking away during his press conference earlier today and the uh, lingering effects of, you know, the flu that he particularly had. But let me uh, lead back up and say that, uh, A, I appreciate you correcting me. And the reason why I, and I probably 
was leaning too heavily on maybe what Clark said to open up his press conference when he just talked about, you know, hey, listen, we're going to look at it like we lost. We still need to improve. We got to cut down on turnovers. We got to cut down on penalties. You know, so let's let's go back to one of the things that I learned from Clark when I was able to visit with him and the team that day over at McGugan was he talked about the team playing as a collective force. Check. They did that. He talked about the team. And this is what they were talking about leading into the season. They talked about this team dictating terms. Check. They did that. Because he also talked about not waiting to counterpunch. I thought Vanderbilt gave, laid down the first punch immediately from the, the time the game started till the time the game ended. Now, they had a couple lapses, but you know, I think they were the more aggressive team. I especially loved what they did on defense, their ability to come out with an aggressive game plan, but also the ability of that unit to execute that game plan and then handle adversity. Check. They did that. Um, you know, let me tell you how, and I'm, I'm just going to assume, but I know sometimes when you assume what you can do, you, you know, but the game starts first play of the game holding Vanderbilt. And you're like, come on, really guys, we, I mean, first of all, we don't have that much room for mar- error for margin of error. And the first play of the game, you you're holding. And now we're first and 20. Come on. And then the second play of the game fumble. You're, I mean, excuse my language, but you're just like, do I really want to watch this game? Is this the direction we're going? I mean, come on. I mean, is this team that beat down from a close encounter with Missouri and even closer encounter with South Carolina, two games that they had an opportunity to win, possibly should have won, couldn't win. Is this season now starting to wear on them? I mean, that's what, that's where I was. That's where I was at. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't give up. I literally kind of, you know, regrouped mentally and I watched this team basically prop themselves up. It's kind of like in a, in, you know, in a, in a 12 round fight, they went out to touch gloves and Kentucky just came out and boom, boom, body shot, shot to the side of the head. They go down on one knee and you're like, Oh, this isn't going to last very long, but yet they regrouped. They were already dealt adversity right out of the chute. And I got to, I got to tip my cap to the defense. And I think, well, that's as the route will continue to go by limiting Kentucky to three points. It was basically three and out and they kicked the field goal. Um, you know, and that's where we had talked about, they said it at the start of the game. The offense has been averaging a little over 26 points per game. And you're like, well, that's plenty to win. Unfortunately, the defense just, is, just hasn't held up, you know, and now all of a sudden they have a game where the defense held up. They, they would occasionally bend, but I don't think they ever broke. Like I said, they gave away that big, what was that at the end? Was that 72-yard run to Chris uh, Rodriguez to allow Kentucky to take the lead? But they responded. And, you know, just as you just pointed out, to take this part full circle, everything they were handed, they had plenty of reasons to where they could have just given up and not win. and, And you could have said, okay, I understand the flu, missing three offensive linemen, the, the season that they've had to deal with. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. Clark used something in his um, press conference today on Tuesday that I don't know if many people caught. And I actually rewound it three times. He used the term belief without evidence. Because he was talking about, you know, his coaches and the hard work that they put in and the players and the hard work that they put in. And you think about it and you're like belief without evidence. I mean, it takes a strong character to get on board that boat. That boat pulls up to the dock. You got, it it may look creaky. It may look like it's got holes in it. But if the person that you follow in this, this, this point, Clark Lee, let's leads you to believe that they're, you're going to be okay. You get on the boat. 
And that's what this team has done. And I think now this gives, I mean, they've had credibility since day one, but I think it really gives them, you know, some the credibility that makes their job now just a tad, a tad easier in the sense that, you know, they've been very positive, but at the same time, they're like, guys, stick with us. Come on. You know, we're putting out good game plans. We need you to execute. We need you to stick with it. We need you to follow us. We need, we're, we're here. We're trying to do what's best for you. Come on. You know, it's, it's kind of like take a quick peek behind the curtain, but then you're not allowed to go up in the first class. It's just, it's kind of been like that all season, but these guys, as they talked about, you know, you, you get tired of hearing it, but they've continued to believe they continued to work hard. They've continued to, you know, to follow. And this game against Kentucky is a result of all that. This team has truly believed without evidence. Now you may say, hold on a second. I have evidence, but that evidence being our hard work is, is providing wins. What we have seen is in growth. What we have seen is improvement, but I played on a team that went 20 and 62 for the San Antonio Spurs one year. Now we were ravished by injury. But it's just sometimes, man, when you come to work that day and you got a game and you're just like, oh, here we go. You know, you're going to try to give it your all. But, you know, at the end of the third quarter, you're just mentally and physically exhausted. But then all of a sudden you look up at the clock and you're like, ah, we're only down two. We're still in this thing. Let's, let's figure out a way to win. Obviously, we didn't do that a lot. But it's just looking around the room, believing in what it is you're trying to accomplish and taking it one step at a time. And that's. That's where I think now you can say that Clark Lee and this team are. And, and I can honestly say I'm really excited to, you know, see how they respond. Because, yes, they won a game, but we can't shut it down and say, okay, man, we've made, we've made strides. We won an SEC game this year. We had lost 26 straight. The this, this streak's over. You, you have to now respond, and that's going to be another test for this team because of the amount of, of energy and emotion that they that – they, you know, invested into this Kentucky game and the amount of energy and emotions they, they used in this Kentucky game. So now how do they regroup? How do they put the pieces back together? How do they get themselves prepared for a Florida team that I think is just like Kentucky, but very beatable. And I'm not sitting here saying they're going to beat Florida, but I'm more, more interested to see how they respond to the win then whether they win the game, but how do they respond and do they put themselves in a position to win late in the game? A few things that I picked up on today. You talk about the response. One thing that Clark said today was we're going to approach this as if we lost the Kentucky game. That's sort of paraphrasing, which don't get me wrong, they full well realized they won the Kentucky game. And if you want to see some evidence of it, look at the interview on our YouTube channel with Gavin Schoenwald we have. But they've put it in perspective. I think they're trying to put it behind them and move on. And I didn't see a whole lot of difference today in what I've seen in previous weeks. I mean, it was a little happier. You could, Again, you could see it in – Gavin Schoenwald's face. That's also because we asked him questions about beating Kentucky. Football's a tough game. It's a lot of training, a lot of effort, a lot of preparation, and those guys haven't had a lot of moments like this to celebrate. So I think that's most of what there was to it. Second thing, every time I'm at practice, I just continue to see good body language, guys going at it hard. And one of the most interesting things to me, and this is something I saw today, but I've seen it for I don't know how many weeks in a row. Usually when we are getting interviews with coaches and players after practice, they're just finishing up. So most of the guys are coming off the field. Some guys stay behind and do a little extra work. Maybe the last guy off the field, each of the last several weekends has been, or weeks, Tuesdays to be exact, has been Ken Seals, who is the third-string quarterback. He's not played a snap this year. I don't know if that says more about Ken or the coaching staff or what, but I think it says something about both because you and I know 
We've had to talk about it before. Luke White has talked about it before. The challenge with Vanderbilt teams this late in the year is when you don't have a lot to play for and it's cold and it's getting towards the end of the semester and especially for kids who are not seeing the payoff in terms of playing time and results, it's easy to check out. Looking up and seeing the third-string quarterback still throwing balls well after practice to me is certainly a sign of something. No, you're, you're exactly right. And also, I'll even take it one step farther because I'll, I'll address seals here in a second. Um, you know, I, I went through and looked at some of the other interviews. Uh, Elijah McAllister, you know, you asked him about, I think it was you that asked him about, you know, what they did different, you know, to get the results in that Kentucky game. And he said they really didn't do anything different, but he just he credited the coaching staff. But he also said just continually practicing hard, getting the extra reps after practice, working on the fundamentals, the basics, you know, things that they need to kind of tighten up, shore up, uh, whatever word you want to use. And I think because you're consistently seeing these guys, Ken Seals, the Wides McAllister, all these other guys, you know, even though practice is officially over. They, they're they're putting in the extra rep, even though you look at their record and you're like, man, why? You've only got three games left. You got Kentucky, you got Florida, you got Tennessee, and then it's over. You know, it just go. You can go through the motions, and but they choose not to do so, and that says a lot about what Clark has established in his two almost two years there, and the mentality that these guys have. And that's the other thing that I consistently give any student athlete a lot of credit for. Going to Vanderbilt's not easy because, and I'm not even just talking about, you know, the academic aspect. I'm talking about just having to balance student life, academics, and athletics. Um, you know, because it's just, it's just harder at Vanderbilt than it is at, at you know, the other schools in the SEC. And, and let me be very clear. I'm not saying these other schools aren't good academically and it's not hard there, but it's just harder at Vanderbilt because going to Georgia, you're stepping on the field knowing that you're going to compete for a national championship. I'm just going to use that football in this case as an example. All right. Going to Alabama, you know you're going to compete even though they won't this year. You're going to compete for a national championship. But going to Vanderbilt, you know that you're going to take, you're going to take your lumps. And it's, it's a huge challenge, and you're going to constantly be climbing uphill. And, you know, that's when you start talking about the character of these guys that they develop. And I can honestly say a lot of the guys, you know, that I'm good friends with are football players, former football players, my age in their fifties. And they didn't win a lot of games, but yet the men that they have become, the fathers they have become. And a lot of it goes to, you know, the things that they were taught at Vanderbilt, but also the coaches that they had while they were at Vanderbilt. And it's a reflection of that. But I think at the same time, we all know, as, as former athletes, that's not good enough. You know, we, we still want to win. You play, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make a joke out of it, but you play to win the game. <laughs> you know, everybody knows, knows where that came from. And if you don't know, look it up. Cause I'm not going to give you the answer, but it has something to do with the Indianapolis Colts. But you're still trying to win games at Vanderbilt. But I think that for those that listen to this podcast, again, thank you. But I, let's also be very clear. Former athletes like myself, but also former football players, they're not idiots. They're not sitting here saying that we expect Vanderbilt to compete for a national championship every year. I know Clark Lee said that, but what do you expect him to say? He's got to say that. But I think what we fully expect, and I'm just referring to football right now with this podcast, for this team to, to, to go to a bowl game and not necessarily at six and six, seven and five, eight and four, you know, 
as we've talked about in previous podcasts, there are times when Vanderbilt has beaten Georgia. There are times when Vanderbilt has beaten Alabama. So it's possible. Okay. But I think we're in, we're at a point now where we can see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not saying we're there. I fully believe that to get to that point that I just mentioned, where we're talking about six and six, seven and five, eight and four, it's going to take at least another two years. And that's going to be the hard part for people like myself, for Vanderbilt fans. But that, that, that sound you hear is people getting back on the wagon, people willing to, you know, support athletics, not that they haven't before, but they've probably, they've done it quietly and they've done it in the background. And that's all that we've ever wanted. That's all we've ever hoped for. And, you know, cause I've, I've, I constantly say, and I'll talk to, I talked to Clark about this as well as, you know, tennis has done as well as baseball has done as well as golf has done as well as women's bowling. doing laundry again it seems like i'm always doing laundry when we do these podcasts but <laughs> it's been there yeah football drives the bus period and all these coaches of all these other sports they know that too so they're really cheering on clark and they're really cheering on this football team because the better the football team gets the easier it is for these coaches of these other sports to do some things that they want to do meaning the, t- the tennis facility, continue to expand the baseball stadium, you know, blah, 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 wherever you want me to go with that. So, you know, we're just, I couldn't have been prouder of Clark and this team of what they did against Kentucky. And also Clark, you know, in his very emotional post-game interview, touching on just how difficult it is to, to build a program. I mean, it's just, I think, I think anybody that's been invested over the last couple of years knows that. And it's just nice to see them, you know, reaping some of the benefits. And again, belief without evidence. Okay. A few things in response to that. And then I think I want to go to the mailbag. You talk about finding hope. I did this today. If you want to look ahead a little bit, look at the first six games on the schedule next year. And I think they got a chance to get off to a pretty good start. Hawaii here, Alabama A&M here, at Wake Forest. I think Wake loses a ton of fifth-year type players, including Sam Hartman. That's winnable at UNLV, certainly winnable. Going to need to lobby my wife for a road trip for that one. That one might be doable for me. Well, I can already tell you that there's a lot of guys that I know that are they've already circled that UNLV game on their calendar. It's there could be a huge Vanderbilt turnout in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, all right, we need we need to have a Vandy sports party in Vegas. How about that? Let's let's make that a good. Yes, sir. Okay, <laughs> and then uh, Kentucky and Missouri here to open the SEC season. I mean, you just saw Vanderbilt go head to head against both those teams. Both will be breaking in new quarterbacks. You know, with the transfer portal, they they could be experienced quarterbacks for all we know. Uh, but yes, the, the schedule next year is much more manageable than this one was. Second thing, and this, I mean, first of all, the schedule darn near broke them in the middle. I mean, just the Alabama, Ole Miss, Georgia spell was pretty ugly. And then they came back at, at Missouri and, and almost won. But I think that's what made it tough for them is they had maybe the two most winnable games on their schedule at Missouri, South Carolina, were in the rearview mirror. They – certainly blew an opportunity at Missouri and and didn't play that well against Carolina here. And I remember walking out of the press conference after the Carolina game and just thinking, you know, like all Vanderbilt coaches have had that moment where you just kind of know it's not going to work. And it would be premature for me to say, well, that that was the moment it's not going to work because Clark's always had a longer vision he knew it was tough he knows it was tough but the fans had started to turn on him a little bit I think there's again I think there is an erroneous perception that they are closer to the other teams in talent 
than they are. Now, look, they are developing players, and they are closing the gap a lot more quickly than I thought they might in some ways. But don't get me wrong. They beat Kentucky. Kentucky is still easily the more talented team. Uh, So hats off to Vandy for getting a win there. Here's where I'm going with this. I think that I felt like just reading board posts and things like that, a lot of the fans had started to turn on Clark a little bit, even some who'd been on his side. I was in that press conference. That got... Pick your adjective somewhere between awkward and contentious. And I just thought that could be the moment where it starts to break him a little bit. And, and then we talked about the injuries, the flu, all those things. You had the the Dan Jackson thing. And instead of that, that's when they pull out a win on the road. And the timing of all that, look, I thought the Kentucky matchup was more favorable than people might have perceived it because I've seen Kentucky play a lot. I've seen what gives Kentucky trouble. And I thought if they died off the right defensive game plan, which they did, they could be in it. But that was a lot of baggage to go into the last weekend with. And that is, I think, as much as anything Clark has done, the way that he navigated the last week and got through it and got his team to buy in and believe I think that may be the most impressive thing he's done since he's been here. You know, I'll, I'll agree with you because, you know, I started seeing on social about, you know, people talking about, uh, you know, complaining about the game plan, complaining about this, complaining about that, you know, talking about maybe Clark's not the right guy. And I was like, wow. I mean, I can understand. I mean, fans are impatient. This is what, you know, social media has become. There's a lot of negativity. The chance for you to, you know, voice your opinion, your frustrations, because, you know, you don't have to deal with it personally. But I think that there's two things here I'm going to address real quick. I think that just talks about the man that Clark Lee is and about how he's not going to stray from the plan. He's going to constantly adjust, reevaluate, change course. But I mean change course. I don't mean like, you know, he still has a vision of what he thinks this, this program can be. And he's not going to waver. And he's talked about it time and time again, that he hopes that he's here for 14, 15 years. And then when he steps away, He is the guy that left the program in a much, 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 much better position than when he arrived. And then he can just, you know, still be in Nashville because he's a Nashville guy and just sit there and watch Vanderbilt play every weekend, occasionally go to a game and just sit there and say, like all these guys that are on this team right now, I started that. I was part of that. I'm so proud of where the program has gone, but I'm proud of myself for staying and for putting up with a lot from opposing teams, the media, our own students, fans. But, you know, we are now respected in the SEC. We're no longer the bottom dweller. and We're no longer that team that people keep saying, why are you guys even in the SEC? You know, and I, I feel like Clark can be that guy that can take us there. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. 
Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Now, that being said, the other thing I want to say is I I really want to say thank you to Mike Wright because I think that, hey, they obviously made the right call by making him the captain. It, it's, it's really hard to say because I'm not in that room. I did see how that team responded to him when I was in the team room. And again, just one day, one meeting. But for him to go through what he's been through, to be the starter, then to lose his job to a freshman, and to not waver. I know initially, well, let's just clear the air, he did not react very well. But that was a sideline issue. That was not in the media issue. That was not on social media issue. That was... I think more out of frustration because he realized what was going on at the moment. And there was a lot of emotions at that moment. But since that moment, I can only imagine how supportive he's been, the the way he's responded in practices, the extra reps that he's put in as well in reference to Ken Seals. Um, But to be prepared for this particular game and to respond after, you know, even though it got called back, um, an interception, some forced passes, some bad decisions, but you know, he stuck with it and his team stuck with him. And, you know, I think that that's regardless of how his career ends. I think that that's one of the things that we're always going to remember is, you know, the student that he is, the student athlete that he's become the leader that he is. And that's going to bode well for him in the future. Now, that being said, I wanted to touch on something on this podcast. Yes, we still have two games to go. But I've reached out to some scouts, just out of curiosity, and some you know former players. Mm-hmm. And asked them about Mike Wright. And, you know, I think, listen, somebody in the press room today asked about, you know, if AJ is ready to go, is he your starter? And Clark said, well, whichever starter gives us the best opportunity to win, which in other words, I think he means whichever starter is better prepared. All of a sudden, AJ is not, you know, not ready to go until Friday. He's not going to be as prepared as Mike Wright. Okay, so then Mike will be your starter. I personally feel like that, okay, we've seen enough from Swan that we need to sit him down unless he's 100%, not 75%, not 90%, but unless he is 100%, he shouldn't step foot on that football field. And I think that the coaching staff will do, and the medical staff will, will do what's best for him as, as a football player, but also as a student and as a person. But Everybody that I've talked to at all different levels says that if Mike Wright wants to play at the next level, he's going to have to change position. And Clark Lee even said in, today, in today's press conference that everybody knows A.J. Swan's our starter. So that's not going to change in the offseason. Regardless if, if A.J. doesn't play, how well Mike plays the next two games. It's just not. Some may say that's unfair but it's just not. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative. Okay. But I just want to point a few things out. And the reason why AJ Swan will be, will continue to be the starter is because of how he opens up the offense. And Mike made some, some nice throws in that Kentucky game, but he just doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the accuracy. And all you got to do is go look at some of those, you know, passes that he tried to throw into the corner of the end zone. Not even close. Whereas we've seen, you know, AJ be able to just put those things in a tight window. And I think we all agree that for this, this program to take the next step, you need a, you need a quarterback like Swan. And my understanding is you got another really good quarterback coming in next year as a freshman 
But, again, I've had a scout tell me, former players tell me, that Mike Wright is a weapon. But the question is where? Tailback? Slot receiver? Special teams guy? You know, he, he, he now listen, this is a Chicago reference because I'm up in Chicago, but he reminds me of a guy that's, that could, that's quite possibly going to go in the Hall of Fame as a special team player in Devin Hester. I think he could be that type of guy in the NFL. Hell, he could even be a, a slot receiver. He could end up being a great receiver. I don't know, but, you know, he has the, has the, the skill set to be an NFL player, just not as a quarterback. So let's, let's not even continue to talk about that, but let's see where what happens this off season because if Clark Lee can convince him to stay and not only stay but to switch positions to me that right there the weapon that he can be offensively all of a sudden as you just mentioned that schedule that they start off with next year now you got it that that bumps the offense that speeds them up a year in my opinion because of the weapon he can be you put Guys like Ray Davis, AJ, Mike Wright, you put speed by speed in, in guys that are elusive like that in the backfield and a guy with that type of arm. I mean, it's the, the possibilities are endless. And I know I'm looking big picture and I know I'm putting the, the cart before the horse, but Mike Wright's got a big decision to make. And if we see him transfer, then that tells us that he really wants to finish his career in college as a quarterback. And quite honestly, he could put his name in the portal and there's plenty of schools that will take him. But if he truly wants to play in the NFL, it's not as a quarterback. I mean, I just saw a game this past weekend in the NFL. I forgot what game I was watching. We were down in Atlanta with Goheen and Reese. Um, There was a DB or a safety that was a quarterback in college that's now starting in the NFL as, as a free safety or a DB. I can't remember. They were talking about him. You know, we were kind of chatting, not really watching the game, but it was on, the volume was on, and all of a sudden I said, yeah, he's a former quarterback. So that tells you the possibilities of what Mike Wright has in front of him, if he's willing to make that change. But just also, as I just mentioned, think about what it could do for the offense if Clark can convince him to stay but also change position. I mean, I know that's, that's, that's a bigger question for another podcast or later on, but it's just where you, where you talk about now, you know, just the belief you feel like the coach is doing what's best for you. Um, you know, you continue to fight. So there's the potential is, is now becoming more than potential as far as the future for this Vanderbilt team. Yeah. Going to be a very interesting off season. I think, are you ready for the mailbag? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Now, remember, I have another story I'm going to end with, so let's do a couple mailbag questions, and then I'll finish it off with another story. Yeah, happy to leave you time for that. Let's see. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 846 846- 6200, that is area code 615. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, let's see. All the questions are basketball related, so let me pick a couple of these. <laughs> Ann Arbordor says, Will, how complex are Jerry's offensive and defensive schemes, and how much do you think learning curve slash immature cohesion between new and returning players plays into this slow start again we are doing this on tuesday afternoon we are now a little less than two hours from tip off for the temple game so will's answer will be in that perspective (laughs) yeah so i've had to watch the game secondhand for one reason or another and let me just say this i don't necessarily think that jerry's schemes are that difficult Quite honestly, this is now coming from a guy that's played in the NBA. But the interesting thing is Clark, golly, I wish I would have written that down. In his press conference, he talked about when they have the running game going, that makes them 
competitively productive because of how it opens it up for everything else in the game. And I don't think that's exactly what he said, but I'll paraphrase and use that term. That's the problem with what's going on with this Vanderbilt team right now is they're competitive, but they're not productive, meaning they're not shooting the ball very well. The defense is okay. You obviously see the effort, but this is going to be one of those seasons, in my opinion, because you lost a lot when you lost Scottie Pippen Jr. on sacrifice. And why I say that is, is because when a team loses a player like a Scottie Pippen Jr., it's natural for somebody to be like, this is my opportunity. I'm going to get some more touches. I'm going to be able to score more. I'm going to have more freedom. But the problem is Vanderbilt doesn't have that guy to fill Scotty's shoes. So this has to be a team effort, meaning you're going to have to sacrifice all those shots that you thought you were going to get or that freedom that you thought you were going to have because you haven't become that player yet. So these team, this team has to take a page out of Clark's book. You got to believe in the coaching staff. You got to believe in the schemes and you really got to work your ass off and practice. There's no days off to really get somewhere because it scares me right now that this team is struggling as they are now. And we're not even in the SEC season. And I think the SEC is in basketball wise has continued to get better. And you know, I know there's some expectations because we have the contract extension with with Stackhouse, but I think we're going to have to, you know, just, I know people are like, wait a minute, we've been patient this long. Why do we have to continue to be patient? You have a choice here. You can be patient or you can be angry. Take a choice. Okay, VU Matt 23, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy were you after the win over Kentucky? And on a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointed were you with the basketball loss to Southern Miss? Uh, my happiness on the Kentucky game was a 12. Because <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. is just, That's when you're proud to be an I thought we were going to get a goes to 11 there maybe. but <laughs> Well, it's just, getting the, the text messages from friends of mine saying, congratulations, you know, we're on the driving range on Sunday with, with, uh, Reese and Goheen and people are talking about, Oh man, big win for Kentucky. And these are all Georgia fans, right? Dealing with them, but it's just, people took notice and that just made you proud. I mean, I can honestly say that the, I'm, I'm a proud Vanderbilt alum. I'm a proud former athlete, but the proud moments are few and far between. And we need more moments like that to where we can walk onto the driving range with our chest out, or we are constantly getting, you know, all these text messages from friends and it just, it just makes you feel good. Now, in regards to addressing the basketball, I kind of felt like, you know, I, I actually like, their pre-SEC schedule because I just don't think it was a, hey, let's throw some teams together, you know, games that we're going to easily win. This team's going to be tested from day one, and you're seeing it. And they're going to be tested tonight against Temple. And I would not be surprised if they don't win, period. Um, I just think that they've got a long way to go. And it's just, just I know they got a, they got a really good recruiting class coming in next year, but that's next year. So, you know, if I'm Stackhouse, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over it's sitting in Tim Corbin's office a lot, but I'm more so sitting in Clark's office asking him about how I continue to move forward. How do I get these guys to remain positive? How do I continue to get these guys to believe? How do I continue to get these guys to work hard? And so, because he needs to show that this team can be competitive on a nightly basis. You notice I didn't say win. I said competitive, but he's got to start seeing some development from some of these players more so than we've seen up to this point. And we really need to see some improvement from this point moving forward to the end of the season. All right. I'm going to ask you two more. 
and leave you some room for story time at the end and, and leave us some time to do some other things in our day also. Okay, let me do this one. Papa Hick 4VU, do you believe Stackhouse can turn the season around or is he simply weighing over his head? Well, honestly, I would have said early on that I thought he was in over his head, but I know what he did with Toronto's G League uh, team and how successful he was there. Um, I know the things that he learned when he was at North Carolina. And the biggest question that I have is is that he's got to find, I think you're seeing it now, and I I know I keep going back to this, but he's got to be able to sell this program to recruits to get players that are good enough to help this team win. And I don't mean after two or three years of development. I mean, immediately. And that's, that's going to be hard. Because again, let's go back to, and we'll take this podcast full circle almost, belief without evidence. Now, you saw some improvement last year. This team went to the NIT. They played well. You know, they were what? One game away from going to New York, right? Yes. So you're like, okay, how do we play off this? And then Scotty Pippen leaves and you're like, eh, all right. So, you know, it's just, again, patience. I know they're like, "Ah, that's not helping me. I want something that I can hang my hat on, something that I can have hope. It's just take it game by game, quite honestly, and just and just see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, but you know, I know what Jerry's capable of from a, a basketball IQ standpoint. Question is, can he get the necessary players to do the things that he wants to do in order to to improve this team and this program? Okay, here's the last one I'm going to go with, and this is a complete change of direction, but I'm interested to hear your answer. I haven't heard this one. DFW Mark, were you with the Bulls when Charles Davis played there, which I know you were at least part of the time? What is the story regarding Davis roughing up Michael Jordan in practice one day? (laughs) So, yes, Charles was towards the end of his career. Uh, unfortunately, when he came into the Bulls, he, um, I think it was, it popped his calf and, um, didn't get a chance to play a lot. But I think what people don't understand is how good of a player he really was. Not only at Vanderbilt, but with the Milwaukee Bucks, the dude was a player period. But you also got to remember this dude was, was, was he, he was strong. He was quick, but it was just, he didn't have a lot of body fat on him either. He was just, he looked more like a football player. But, you know, he got physical with Michael periodically because what he didn't stand up for was, you know, Michael talking his trash during practice because it can be frustrating when you play really good defense and Michael still scores because of how good he is. But I know that, there were a couple instances and I, I apologize for not knowing a specific instance in practice. Cause he played with me on my team, the second unit when we were, you know, complete, consistently day, day after day going against the first unit where he would have. Now let's just honestly say that we in the second unit quite enjoyed watching Charles get physical with Michael and maybe intentionally fouling him periodically or using that chiseled body to, you know, as they say in the NBA, lay some wood on Michael. But Michael also enjoyed those type of challenges. But occasionally, if he felt the the person, whether it be on his team or an opponent, got carried away, then he forcefully let you know. A, by scoring on you, but B, by also telling you that, okay, I've had enough. And there were a few of those instances in practice to where, you know, we had to step in. And um, But the good thing was Charles knew how to do what he was doing, but without really crossing the line. It was kind of like walking up to the water, sticking his toe in and pulling it out, but not jumping all the way in because he knew what, uh, 
the circumstances were. But also, let's just let's be honest. That also made people like, ah, how did that make Michael better? But just that's just what our practices were. That's how competitive everybody in that gym was, and that's a big difference between what you see today and then was is the the intensity that teams practiced with back then in preparation for games compared to what now is, you know, rest is the most important uh, aspect. And it's just, it's just different, but that's also a mindset that the players had back then as well. Okay. We said we begin with the story. We'd end with the story. So the floor is yours to do that now. Yep. So, I always talk about my teammates, so I figured I'd tell a story about myself. So from the day I was born, my parents started saving money. And so I was born in 1965. Back then, you know, you bought, they would buy savings bonds, right? Constantly buy savings bonds. And now I'm in high school. I'm getting ready to you know, graduate. I've got a scholarship to Vanderbilt. I spent my first year on campus with no car no car and my soft um, I think it was my sophomore year after my redshirt year because you got to remember I almost flunked out so then I redshirted and then after that year so my third year on campus but my sophomore year um, of eligibility my parents finally took that money that they had been saving up since I was born. So basically for 17 years, because when I stepped on campus, I was 17 years old, not 18, 17. My dad did his homework, albeit not thoroughly, and purchased a used Chrysler Cordoba. And I always like to tell the story because then I go into my Ricardo Montalban accent with Corinthian leather. <laughs> and it was just a big, heavy car, two-door nonetheless. But the problem was it had a slant six, which means that it was way underpowered. I mean, I literally needed every inch of an on-ramp just when I was driving this thing. So I drove it to campus. But the other thing that was pretty funny about this is any car I ever had and this was technically my second car because I had a uh, Ford pickup truck F-150 that was my grandfather's that I got when he passed away but back to the Cordoba so we were driving to school my dad had taken the rails out putting different rails in and then put the seat back in so that I could have plenty of room because my dad was a volunteer fireman. And he also talked about, I want to make sure that if you ever get in an accident, that both your knees can fit under the steering column instead of, you know, your knees being up around the steering wheel. I want to make sure you have the necessary length so that if you're in an accident, you can still get out of the car and not be trapped by the steering column. So my seat probably went back an extra six or eight inches past what the standard was when it came out of the factory. Well, what we didn't take into consideration was what if somebody else has to drive my car? And my best friend from college was a guy by the name of Kevin Watson. And he was only 5'5". Five five. So we are doing the drive straight from Merritt Island, Florida, all the way to Nashville. It's 12 hours with, you know, two, maybe three stops. And that's obviously going, you know, over the speed limit. I'll just leave it at that. So I drive as long as I can. We uh, stop to get gas. It's time for him to drive. Unfortunately, we don't even test this theory out. But we pull the seat all the way forward and he can't even reach the pedals. With the seat all the way forward, we have to come up with this system to where we get a pillow because somebody had a pillow that they were using. Um, I mean, we basically had to make him a, I don't want to say baby seat, an adult seat for a, oh, a booster. 
as my wife just said in the background, we had to make a little booster seat so that he could even reach the pedals. Oh, no. And even then, even then he talked about how he had to fully extend his foot just to be able to jam the gas down because I don't think this car had cruise control. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, he eventually developed a cramp. So he couldn't drive as long as I had hoped. <laughs> but that's just some of the things that I had to face being seven feet tall as I grew up. The challenges that I dealt with that my father felt he addressed, but by addressing them and making life easier for me, he made it diff- more difficult for my friends. I'll be honest. That's one thing I never had to deal with was being seven feet tall. <laughs> But that's all so, you know. That is all I know. But I, I also have one more thing, and we'll, we'll call it a day. Somebody that was that that was a student at Vanderbilt in the mid to late '80s has a license plate somewhere that I got was personalized. I was all excited. I got a Florida license plate that said Vandy 32 on it. And I roll up to school that year. My dad even says, you know, somebody's going to try to steal this. So he took four screws, took a grinder and grinded out one side of the screws so that once he put all four screws in, you weren't going to be able to get the screws out because when you put a, a screwdriver in the screws, and use the flathead, there was going to be nothing on the left side of the screw so that you could unscrew it and steal the license plate. So we thought for sure that nobody would be able to steal the license plate because my dad did that. The license plate only lasted about a month before somebody stole it. How they stole it to this day, I still don't know. And I think, and I basically scoured all the fraternity houses, all the walls, told people to be on the lookout for some student that has that thing up in their dorm room. Never found out, never saw it. Maybe now with uh, the power of social media and those that are listening to this story, maybe we can come to a conclusion about where that license plate went and who, who actually has it. I'm, I'm checking eBay right now and it is, it is not on eBay. <laughs> so we we can eliminate that as a possibility. Well, that was it was sometime around 1986, 1987. Yeah, eBay wasn't around then. Could possibly, but, you know, if, yeah, if someone was saving as a collector's item, but, yeah, to to sell later, that that uh, that apparently didn't happen. But anyway, so if somebody actually bought that at a garage sale or found that on campus, and they still have it. You know that that's actually license plate belonged to me at one point. It was registered with the state of, in the state of Florida in my name. I've enjoyed it, my man. Thank you again. Um, you know, I think this is one of our better podcasts, not just because they won, but I think because of the material that we've covered. And then, you know, the little stories that I've thrown in has, have made it quite entertaining. They have, and, and it always helps when they win. Uh, you, you eventually run out of material otherwise, and I was – I was starting to get concerned about that, so uh, thankfully that resolved itself this week. And uh, we will talk about whatever happens next week, win or lose, I hope, Will. Yeah, I hope so. But again, um, congratulations to Clark Lee and the whole football team, specifically Mike Wright. But also, we'll close it with this. Could Clark Lee have asked for a better birthday gift? Yeah, I don't I don't think he could have. So that's just hopefully one of many wins that are coming in the future. And, and congratulations to Oreo for destroying a remote in, in ways I didn't think were possible. But in any case, Will, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Again, like I said, I hope to catch up with you next week and we'll see you soon. All right. You got it, Chris. Thank you. You too. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisley70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.